to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Uh, if you have bought a Bible with you or you have a Bible app on your mobile phone or your tablet, um, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today. And uh, I want to welcome you back this morning as we wrap up this series titled From Here to Eternity um, that we've subtitled as Living Beyond the Now. And, and we began this series by trying to gain some, some perspective because the reality is, is that the life you know, that we live, okay, we live right now. Okay? We live in this particular time frame. And to be truthful, it's really kind of hard for us to connect with or our mind to connect with something that's really kind of beyond our experience and understanding. And the idea of eternity really is kind of foreign to us. Uh, I mean, we've, we talk about it, but I mean, really, we just don't really fully understand it because we've never lived for eternity. We didn't live for eternity past, so it's hard for us to understand this idea of eternity. In fact, time itself is something that we struggle to, to understand. For example, uh, years and years ago, um, I was in a, a bank when a couple guys decided to rob it, okay? And, and so these guys come charging in, you know, and they, they, they put a gun to my head and said, lay down. And you know what I did? I lay down, right? Yeah. It's a no-brainer, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I laid down there on the floor and, and, and you know, which is the only thing I could do is just lay down and wait for them to be done. I mean, you know, so I'm just kind of stuck. And so uh, the whole time I'm laying there on the floor, I'm just hoping for one thing. I'm just hoping that I don't hear the gun go off. Because if I don't hear a gunshot, then I know that basically everybody's going to be okay. All right. Let them get the money. Let them get out. You know, I didn't care about the money. I just want to make sure nobody got hurt. Um, and so nobody did. And praise the Lord. But uh, these guys, they were in and out of this bank in two and a half minutes, okay? 150 seconds is what it took for them to run in, grab like three quarters of a million dollars, and then get out, all right? All right, and so, but here's what you have to understand. Laying there for two and a half minutes on the floor, it felt like I was there for hours and hours and hours and hours. Literally, it felt like I was there forever laying on the floor, okay? Now, have you ever had an experience like that where like time seems to stop and really slow? Then there's the other things where like, like, you know, eight hours goes by like right now, like just like, a, like for a few minutes. Or maybe you experience where like decades seem like it was just a couple weeks ago. All right. All right. Well, if I'm going to struggle to understand and relate to time on a consistent basis, how in the world am I going to relate to something like, you know, eternity? Because eternity is really something so much bigger and so much more vast than all of history itself, much less my own little life right here, right now. And so we kicked off this series by taking a biblical look at what eternity actually is and really how big it is and, and how in the context of eternity, our lives are just but a breath. They're really seemingly insignificant. But then in the second week, we talked about how even though our lives are so very short here, the life that we live here is really important. What we do with this life here is important. In fact, we talked about that there's a choice. You know, in this video, every week, every week that we've been in this series alludes to that choice. Okay, the choice is very simple. Either we believe in Jesus Christ or we don't believe in Jesus Christ. We either put our faith in Him or we don't put our faith in Him. And the consequences of this single decision are are astronomical. The consequences of one decision in our life is astronomical because this decision affects every bit of our eternity. Okay? As hard as it is for us to relate to the idea of eternity, this decision about Jesus affects all of eternity forever. Because if you put your faith and your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in the presence of God, standing before Jesus, where there is no more pain and no more tears and no more sorrow. Okay? But if you don't, then you will, if you don't put your trust in Jesus, then you will spend forever 
in eternity in torment forever and ever apart from the life-giving presence of God in hell. And we spent a couple, um, uh, we spent uh, week two talking about that and, and, and really getting down to the nitty-gritty of, the, of what, the, what the Bible actually has to say about that. And, and, and really, the truth is this, yes, there is a choice, and there are but two options, eternity with God or eternity apart from God in hell. Because YOLO is not the truth. You only live once is not the truth because you all, every one of us, will live forever. The question is, is where? And so the Bible absolutely makes that clear. There's no mistaking the implications of that. In fact, that's why Jesus came. God became man, you know, and he became, a, became flesh, and he died for our sins because we all already stood doomed to eternity in hell because of our sin. But God sent Jesus to pay the penalty of our sins so that we all, through faith in Jesus alone, can be saved. And then in week three, we begin talking about how we as Christ followers, we need to begin to live beyond right now and start living for eternity. And we need to, start, we need to stop living for now and temporal things, but start living for eternity and heavenly things. And, and, and the truth is simply this. Our lives and the way that we live our lives can have a huge impact on everyone around us, especially our families. You see, what our families see in us, what our families see in us in our relationship with God can affect their decision to follow Christ or not to follow Christ, which in turn affects their eternity. And so we talked about practical ways we can live for eternity at home, how we can live our daily lives with an eternal perspective in everything we do. And then in week four, we talked about how our, how our spiritual leadership not only affects those people in our houses and at home, but it affects people at work and at school and at the mall and everybody we come in contact with. And we talked about the importance of us living for eternity wherever we go and with whatever we do by sharing the gospel and teaching people about God, but most importantly, modeling the way. Modeling the way in spiritual disciplines, modeling the way in unconditional love and repentance and forgiveness and service and grace and, and gratitude. Now, we as Christians, as Christ followers, are continually be ready to share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ anytime, anywhere, right? Because we not only need to talk the talk, we need to be willing to walk the walk. And then last week, we spent quite a bit of time putting to rest our objections and our excuses of why we can't seem to live beyond the now. Okay? We tackled you know, those reasons why we just don't seem to get around to living for eternity. And we talked about you know, what Jesus had said. He said that, you know, that if we're going to be his followers, he says, he, in fact, he says this. He goes, if anyone would come after me, if we would be his followers, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, Jesus was saying that we, you know, if you're going to be his followers or his disciples, if you're truly going to believe in him, then we need to deny ourselves anything that gets in the way of us following Jesus. And then number two, we need to take up our cross, which means we need to endure suffering and shame, whatever suffering and shame comes our way for the sake of Christ. And number three, we need to get busy following Jesus and doing what he did and doing what he said to do. In other words, we need to get busy living for Christ and eternity or get busy is he dying for this world? Now, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, you might think, well, you stole that line from the Shawshank Redemption. And I'll say, yes, I did. <laughs> I absolutely did do that. Yep. But there's more to the story than that, and there's more that the story you need to know. And so if you missed last week or any other week for that matter, then I would encourage you to go listen to that message or any part of the messages that you missed at our church website or our SoundCloud page. And the addresses are conveniently in your uh, bulletin. But you can listen to the messages, and you can also then share the ones that speak to you with your friends and family as well. But uh, the question 
I think where we are today is where do we go from here? I mean, we really talked a lot about eternity, the implications of eternity. We've been pretty practical about ways that we can live for eternity at work or in school and at home with our families. And we've removed the objections that get in the way of us living for eternity. So, you know, what's next? I mean, where are we going to go from here? Well, this is a question I spent quite a bit of time thinking about and meditating on. Because it's that time of year where things begin to transition. And so, you know, should I, you know, do a pre-Easter message and... And, and plus, there's always this typical argument I have with myself, you know, when it comes to wrapping up messages. I mean, I think about, like, is there more that, that we need to talk about? Is there something else I need to share and really to, in order to drive the truth home? You know, is there some application that I didn't, you know, really make sure that we, we took advantage of? Right? And then I ask myself the obvious question, like, do I have a right to squeeze another message out of this? Or can I just end this on an odd number, even though my OCD screams it, like, no, you can't do that, you know? Well... <laughs> Well, it's the same with this, this particular series, and, and I've thought about this, and I, I, I've actually been praying about it, and actually, um, the good news is we don't have to end this series on an odd number, and uh, it, because there's actually one more component of living for eternity I think that we really need to talk about. Um, you see, we've been talking about living for eternity at home, and we talked about living for eternity uh, at work and school, and we talked about living for eternity out in the wider world, but there's something we really didn't specifically talk about. We didn't talk about, you know, living for eternity in the context of community. You see, a huge part of life, and particularly the Christian life, is in fact community, Okay? In fact, we talk about community all of the time. In fact, one of the things that we encourage people to do, and we've been encouraging people to do, is get plugged into a community group, right? Because here, we, here we're going to be in a, in a six-week series, 40 days in the Word, right? And we're going to want you to be plugged into a community group. It's going to be important. Okay? But community is something that we talk about all the time because it's an important thing. Because your family is, in fact, a community. You know, your community group is a community. Your church family is also a community of believers, your kids' baseball team, that's a community, okay? Your neighborhood is a community. The people that you're on the waterboard with, that's also a community. And this town here is also a community. We all live in these various layers of community, these various layers of simple and, and complicated sometimes relationships. We live uh, together geographically and socially in a way that makes us really interdependent with each other, which means... What happens to you happens to me, okay? And maybe not directly, but definitely indirectly, okay? And what happens to your neighbor three doors down definitely affects you, but by extension affects me too. And what happens to me affects you, and it also affects them on some level. I mean, whatever happens in our community affects us all. We are all affected by what happens in the various layers of our community, from <clears throat> the new teachers at school to the opening of a new store, to the graduation of another group of teens, to the health of, of our neighbors, to the drug-induced break-ins at another church. All of these things are affecting all of us in various ways and various degrees. For example, <clears throat> there was a young lady um, who moved from this community, and, and she grew up here, graduated from Boron High, decided she wanted to go to school in Bakersfield, and while she was there, she decided to get a job, okay? And while she was at her work, she met someone who lived in Bakersfield, and over time, they started to date. Um, and, and the next thing you know, they get married, they have a couple of kids, um, you know, in addition to the couple of kids he already had, and they lived in Bakersfield for a number of years, and for some reason, God put it on their heart to move them back to Boron. And while they lived in Boron, the woman's husband fell in love with the community, uh, 
Um, and he begins to get involved in things like, you know, coaching Little League Baseball and youth football. And he volunteers his time at the Born Kids Outreach Program. He gets involved with, with high school sports, uh, becomes a member of the Chamber of Commerce. He gets, you know, uh, involved with the school board, becomes a youth pastor, and eventually he becomes the pastor of this church. So what you have to understand is my wife's singular decision to move to Bakersfield for school, okay, which you had nothing to do with and it had nothing to do with you, okay, <laughs> that decision actually affected all of you, okay, because for good or for bad, you know, it has impacted your life because guess what? You have to come and listen to me <laughs> preach on Sunday, okay, and not somebody else. So my wife's decision to move to, to Bakersfield has impacted all of your lives, okay? And, and my wife's decision to move to Bakersfield impacted every student in this community's lives as well because as a school board member, I'm entrusted with four other members to make decisions that affect the education of every kid in this community. My wife's decision to move to Bakersfield has impacted this entire community because we are all interconnected and interdependent, okay? And I can go on and on. In fact, Mike Howard joined the Marines and after he did that somehow he meets this girl from Canada they get married you know and then guess what she comes and moves here and sings worship here for five years you know all right Forrest Green invites his friend Devin Ward to church one day all right the kid joins the youth group and that kid changes the life of everybody he comes in contact with right all right and then, then there are people like Charles Saunders I don't know if you remember Charles but I do but I think that he's all he's affected all of us right He's helped, um, he's helped some of us at times. He's stolen from some of us at times, right? He's made some of us laugh. He's made some of us really upset. And several years ago, I remember going to, to a men's conference and watching him in the throes of what he was going on in his life, fall on his face before God, begging God to save him. Okay? That's an image that, that still affects me. In fact, the empty lot right over here where his house used to be, when I, when I walk by it, it still affects me. It still impacts me. For good or for bad, we are all interdependently affecting one another as we live in this community together. By all of our actions and our inactions and our decisions, how uh, some of them may be seeming, seemingly inconsequential, like moving to Bakersfield, those, those decisions affect all of us. Our rants, our Facebook posts, okay, our shopping habits, the way we behave at sporting events, the, our sense of community pride or even our sense of community disdain impacts other people. The way that we use our resources, the way we take care of each other, the way that we live for Christ in eternity or the way that we live for ourselves in the now, through all of that, we're affecting each other's lives in various degrees. Every level of community is important. Every layer of your community is important. I think that's why the Bible has so much to say about community and living in community. In fact, in the beginning of the Bible, God says it's not good for man to be alone. We were created for community. We were created to be in community. We were never designed for isolation. Instead, we were designed to be a part of a fabric of a larger community. Okay? In fact, if you read the Old Testament law, there's so much that relates to you know, living with other people in a larger community. In fact, Jesus himself says about that. He says, um, the entire Old Testament essentially is about loving God and loving our neighbors in community. Okay? We're designed to live in these interdependent, interconnected, multi-layered levels of, of community with other people where our lives are intersecting and influencing one another. And that's why when something happens to you, it happens to me and vice versa. Community is the natural order that God has created. And because of our communities, 
And because of the way that we relate to our communities, it's the perfect, perfect place for us to live our lives for eternity. It's the perfect place for us to live our lives with an eternal perspective in everything that we do. Because when you live your life for Christ and for eternity, your community, okay, when you do that in your community, it has the potential to touch everyone's life around you. And not just for now, but for their eternity as well. And so with that today, I have a text I want to share with you that was written by the Apostle Paul. And um, this text has very, special, very, very practical applications for us and how we are to live our lives for eternity in community. Uh, because as, just as we said, our community is the absolute right place to live for eternity. I, I mean, because our communities at every level, okay, that our lives and how we live them can create these concentric circles that radiate out you know, and intersect and impact the lives of so many people around us, either directly or indirectly. And, and, and so this text I want to share with you actually is from the book of Romans. Now, what's interesting about, about the book of Romans is that it was written at a time when the dynamics of the city or the community of Rome was changing. And, and because of that, the church community of Rome was also changing as well. In fact, uh, historians believe that the church of Rome was started shortly after the Holy Spirit came and empowered the disciples in Jerusalem. If you'll remember in, in, in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, it describes that the, how the Holy Spirit came. He, he gave the uh, disciples a supernatural ability to speak foreign languages. And, and Peter, on that first day, stands up and he preaches the very first sermon in the history of the Christian church church, and on that day, 3,000 people get saved, okay? And, and some of those people were Jews that lived in Rome at the time, and, and because they'd actually made the pilgrimage from, from Rome to Jerusalem at Pentecost. And historians believe it is those Roman Jews, after being saved on that very first day, on the very first day of the church, went home to the city of Rome and started the church in that city, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this church began to flourish, and it grew, and, uh, and it just continued to grow, and more and more Jews in Rome uh, became Christians, and so did a number of Gentiles as well. But then something happened in 49 AD, um, like 16 years after the death of Christ, Emperor Claudius, um, because of just some controversies with Jewish people, he uh, issues an edict that required all of the Jews to leave the city of Rome. Okay? He basically just kicked them all out, said, you can't live here anymore. And that means all the Jews, including Jewish Christians, had to leave uh, the city of Rome. And so overnight, the church in Rome virtually became 100% Gentile, just like that, okay? Because the Jews were banned from the city. Now, by the time Paul had written this letter, it was like eight years after that, the Jews had been finally <clears throat> allowed to come back to the city, and the church was in the process of reintegrating the Jewish Christians back into the church. But this church was still dominated by by Gentiles, okay? And so there were a number, because of that, there was a number of social tensions uh, between the church uh, and between these two groups because you had like the Gentiles who were like really kind of newcomers to the faith, but they were in control of every part of the church now. And then you have this, these Jews who have this rich cultural heritage and a direct connection to the very first church in Jerusalem. And so there's, there's this tension. And there's this also tension in the church, but there's tension in the broader community as well. Okay, uh, there was this political tension as the Roman emperors weren't really sure what to do with Christians. Okay, and there was economic tension because there was a huge disparity between the wealthy and poor. And I'm not talking about the disparity that you see in the United States today. Okay, 
I'm talking about a real disparity between a small, tiny, elite ruling class and people that was a huge population of people that were desperately, desperately, desperately poor. We're talking about third world country kind of poor. Okay, and, and, and so these people were, were, many of them were slaves and many of these people were living in slums and, and, and the population of Rome at about that time was about a million people. Okay, and again, like I said, there were slaves and there were people in desperate poverty and there was this economic tension because, you know, everywhere you went you had these beautiful buildings and you also then had these, these slums and there was just this dynamic going on that, that, that created a lot, of, a lot of economic pressure. And then there was a religious tension because... Um, Rome was like the most religiously plural city in the world. I mean, like every potential god and deity known to man was worshipped in Rome. And then there was moral tension, okay, because Rome was a decadent city. Like prostitution was like not a big deal, all right? I mean, in fact, that was even part of some religious ceremonies. Okay, illicit, illicit sexual affairs was kind of normal. You married people for social status, not for love. Okay, and so adultery and fornication and homosexuality were, they were all accepted practices in the Roman Empire. And to make, make things worse than that, women and children were viewed as property. Okay, and so there was, there was a lot of exploitation that went on. And so it kind of makes kind of the problems of our community seem a little bit smaller. But, but it was in this kind of tension that the church of Rome grew and it flourished and the message of hope began to grow. Now Paul, at the point that he wrote this letter, had not yet visited Rome. And he writes this letter to let them know that he really desires to go and visit. But he also wrote this letter in order to make sure that they had a strong theological foundation. And so because of that, Paul writes this wonderful theologically rich letter and is really one of the foundation stones of how we understand Christianity today. In fact, if you want to know what Christianity is all about, I'll tell you to read three books. Read the book of John, read the book of Acts, read the book of Romans. Because John gives a great picture of the history of Jesus and who Jesus really is. Acts tells you, uh, uh, it helps us to understand what, what, what the early church was like. And then Romans helps you to understand the theology of Christianity. Okay? In fact, it is the most influential theology book in the entire world. It is jam-packed full of rich, complex theology. It's actually through the book of Romans we understand how the gospel pieces fit together. It's through the book of Romans we understand salvation by grace. It's through the book of Romans we understand the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Okay? It is the most... <clears throat> important theological book ever written. It is the backbone of our theological understanding. But the book of Romans is also really, really practical. Okay? Because Paul takes what he, what he taught theologically and he converts it into something that you can actually apply to your life. He takes it and makes it practical application. And he, and he does it, what he does is he shows the Roman church, based on what they have learned, what they actually need to then turn around and do in that climate of, um, uh, uh, of struggle that they're, they're living in. Um, and, and so one of these practical parts of this letter is the part that I want to read for you this morning. In fact, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. And, and what I want to do is I'll just read this entire text in its context. And then what we'll do is we'll go back through and we'll dig out the truths that we need to apply to our lives and our own community in order to, to live for eternity here and now. So Romans, chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it reads, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace, by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to his to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does not, I mean, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, the one, let uh, love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with uh, the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, it's pretty plain. It's pretty right on the surface there. But these words were written 2,000 years ago. And uh, they were written to a church, you know, in a community that really had big, 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 big problems. But I want you to understand that even though this text was written 2,000 years ago, it has very real application for you and me and for our church. It has application for us at home. It has application for us in our small groups. It has application for us in our neighborhoods. It has application for us at work. It has application for us as Christians as we relate to other Christians in our community because maybe they don't go to the same church or maybe they're from a different denomination. It has applications for all of that. It has applications uh, certainly for our community of Bourne slash North Edwards. And I'll be the first to admit, our community has some really big issues. We face some really, really big challenges in this community. We have economic issues. We all know that. There's just simply not enough um, jobs that pay enough to support you know, families in our community. There's just not enough of those. And we face social issues, too, because there's a sense in this community of us versus them. And, th and this dynamic manifests itself in a number of ways, you know, insiders are, you know, versus outsiders. I mean, if you're new to this community, it's going to take you a while to get accepted here. That's just a plain truth. It also manifests itself in certain, in, in certain stereotypes. We hear certain people all the time say things like, well, I don't like those people coming from that area, or, or I, don't, I don't like that, those people from that particular economic group, right? And it also shows up, sadly, in racism, too. 
There's still an element of racism in Boron. And racism isn't just about color either because there are racists of every color and every stripe in this small community. But, an, but another way that it's this us versus them mentality that shows up is, is, is simply who you are and who you're related to and who your family is. I mean, there's whole groups of people who divide themselves along these lines for various reasons. Oh, your kid was mean to my kid at school, so I hate you. Right? All right? We've heard that before. Yeah, you stood up for something at work that I didn't like, so we're now we're mortal enemies. Right? You know, 20 years ago, you had a party and you didn't invite me, and so guess what? I still hate your guts, right? All right? Well, you know, some people might think that that might even be a joke, but really, I think most of us who've been in Boron for a while know that it's true. I mean, just look at Facebook. You see somebody post something about an issue, and then you see everybody get all divided up, and then you'll see, you know, people just get downright mean and nasty and hurtful with one another. And these people are neighbors. These people are friends, and people, some of these people are family, right? And I'm not just talking about just unbelievers either. Okay, I'm talking about Christians too. In fact, some of the meanest stuff I've heard and seen recently has come from people who claim that they follow Jesus. So we do have big social issues here. We also have big moral issues, you know, like divorce and infidelity and adultery, right? We have issues of crime and, and, and alcohol. I mean, that's a, alcohol abuse is a big issue in our community. And so, and same with drug use. In fact, uh, yesterday I stopped at the store and I was uh, walking across the parking lot, the Boron Food Market, and there was a couple of grown men, you know, standing in the parking lot talking. And when I say grown men, I'm talking about like really like grown men, like, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s kind of grown men, okay? I'm not talking about like little kids. And, 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 and I heard this one guy saying, yeah, he goes, yeah, I grow it and I, I sell it too. And I was like, okay, and just kind of kept walking. And he, he knew he, I heard him, and so he goes, but then he starts going, well, well, but I have this rule. I don't sell it to anybody under 18. I'm like, dude, I know that you're lying now. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right? Okay. And, and, and here's the thing is this isn't some shady guy who showed up in our town that we don't know, okay? This is a guy that most of us know. All right. I mean, this is somebody that, that, that we all see in town. This is somebody that, like, when you bump into him, you're like, hey, how you doing? How's the family? Kind of thing. You know what I mean? All right. We have really big moral problems in our town. And I can go on and on about this, but let me just tell you. Just as the words that God spoke through Paul in this letter has application for the church of Rome 2,000 years ago, it still applies to us. In fact, let's just take a look, uh, beginning with, with verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, there are lots of ways that you can look at these verses, these first two verses. And, and we have explored these verses many times in the past. And, and we're going to probably look at these, these verses many more times in the future. But today, there's a specific thing I want you to notice. Okay? In these verses, these two verses, Paul basically is exhorting us to give to God three things. Number one, he says, offer your body. That we're to offer out to, to God our bodies as a living sacrifice, meaning that, that, that everything we do with our bodies, okay, everything we do with our bodies should now be done in order to glorify God. Everything we do with our bodies should be done with a motivation to glorify God. Every act, every move should be done in order to bring, the, bring glory to God. In fact, Paul even calls that, uh, uh, that kind of devotion worship, 
you know, that we live worship out by with what we do uh, with ourselves. And this is, this is an idea that actually runs through Scripture. It's not just like unique to this, this place in Romans. In fact, Paul said, if you'll remember, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, which is Colossians 3.17. He also uh, wrote somewhere else in 1 Corinthians, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything we do with our bodies ought to be done as a sacrifice to the Lord, which includes the things that we do at home, the things that we do at work, things that we do at church, and especially the things we do out in the community. And the second thing, he said, is to give to God our minds. Okay? Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Give your mind to God and the things of God. Do not think like the world thinks anymore, but think the way God wants you to think. Okay, and that means at home, at work, at church, also in our community. And the third thing that Paul wants us to give is to God is our will. He says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. See, God is, what he's saying is, is that we need to have our minds changed so we'll, we'll be able to discern and find out what the will of God is. Well, Why? Because if you belong to God, then you're going to want to do the will of God. You don't want to be in the middle of God's will. You want to be where God wants you to believe. In fact, if you belong to God, then you should want to use your body for His glory. You want to use it. You, you want to make sure your mind is in alignment with God's mind, and you should also want for your will to be in alignment with God's will. In fact, that's what we sing this morning. Take my heart and form it. Take my mind transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours. Okay? And, that, and that's, that's where it begins as Christians. Okay? That's where it begins at home, at work, or at school, in the mall, or in our community. I submit my body and all that I do to the Lord. I submit my mind and my thoughts to the Lord. I submit my will to the Lord, even when there's somebody in the community that upsets me. I still submit myself, all that, to the Lord. Paul continues... Verse 3, he says, For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now this right here, this is a big deal, especially in the context of community, because let me just tell you what, what, what's normal for most people. Okay, Normal for most people is, my life is about me. Okay, That's normal. Okay? And that means that, 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 that like it's, it's all about me and what I want. And if what I want conflicts with what you want, then too bad for you. Okay? Because it's about me. And it's about me and it's about my family. And that means if my kid and your kid get into a disagreement, it's your kid's fault. Right? Because my kid is perfect and never does anything wrong. Right? And my kid, you know, he, if he does something wrong, then I'm going to rationalize it away. Because it's this and because of that and because of he did and because she did and whatever. And then when my kid does something wrong or somebody I love does something wrong or breaks the law or does something that harms the community, I'm going to hide it. I'm going to rationalize it. I'm going to deny it. I'm going to act like it didn't even happen because it's all about me and my family and my life. So the heck with the rest of you. Okay? That's normal. But what Paul says is do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. We need to keep our self-importance in perspective. In fact, he also said, let us... Each of us look not to our own interests, but also the interests of others. He said that in Philippians 2.4. You see, it begins with submitting our bodies and our minds and our will to God. Then we need to submit our interests and our self-importance to others around us. 
And I'm not saying that you're not important, okay? And I'm not saying that our families are not important, but keeping in perspective, you know, uh, our importance, okay, and how important other people are in our community are, okay? And remembering that we, as the Bible says, are ambassadors for Christ and the way that we live and the way we behave affects our entire community potentially for eternity. And that's a hard one. That's a hard one to stop thinking about ourselves all the time and thinking about others. Verse 4, Paul says, For in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And here's something else that, that we have to come to terms with. If you belong to Christ, that means you're a part of the body of Christ. Right? And that means you're a part of the body of Christ right along with every other Christian who is the part of the body of Christ. Which means, as Paul says, we are members of one another. We are the same body. We are the same bride. Even if these people aren't in the same congregation or the same denomination, if someone possesses orthodox faith, you know, orthodox faith meaning the, the authority of the Bible that Jesus is the only way, that He is God in the flesh, orthodox faith... If somebody possesses orthodox faith, then they are part of the body of Christ, and that means they are a part of you, even those Christians you don't like. And I understand that. I understand that you wouldn't like that sometimes. I understand that you wouldn't want to accept that sometimes. Okay, Because I recently had an intersection, interaction with a fellow believer, and I know that this guy is a believer, Okay, but this person really, really rubs me the wrong way. I mean, not a little bit, but... A lot. Okay? I mean, a lot. Like, I want to push him down the stairs a lot. Okay? Right, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't, I wouldn't push him down the stairs. I might poke him in the eye, but I wouldn't push him down the stairs. So. But seriously, this, this particular person, for whatever reason, and as much as I don't want it to be this way, you know, this person gets under my skin, and I'm like, Lord, I need your help here. I need your help here. Because I know I'm supposed to love him, okay? But I don't like him, okay? Right? And, and, and the truth is, he's my brother in Christ, and so I need to love him, and I need to respect him, and I need to do whatever I can to serve him, all right? And, and, and when I feel like pushing him down the stairs, I need to pray about him, Okay, and it's the same with you. Okay, there are people in our community you don't get along with that are Christ followers. And just like me, you need to, you need to put away your irritations and your frustrations. And you need to get busy loving and serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus said that we are to love each other as He Himself loved us. That's how we're to love one another. And, and, and not just believers that we like, but all other believers. And He said... It's by that kind of love that the world will know that we belong to Him. And, and, and guess what? That's not negotiable. Because <laughs> guess what? This is a command. He said, a new command I give you. Right? This is a direct order from Jesus Himself. And to drive this point home, the Apostle John said, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Okay? For he... Who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so, it, it, so let's be clear about this. We are one body of believers. And as such, we need to love other believers, especially those, in our those that are in our community. 
Because it's the way that we love each other, that the rest of the community who is not a part of Christ will see and know we belong to Jesus. And in that way, in the way that we love each other, that we will influence other people and open their hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, verses 6 through 8, you know, Paul talks about how we use our various gifts to serve each other in the church. I'd love to talk more about that, but I don't have enough time for that. But beginning in verse 9, he begins to talk about how to apply this teaching to our lives. And he says, let love be genuine. Now, that might seem like a strange thing, but that's exactly what he says. Let love be genuine. See, it's important to understand that we need to love other believers and other people with the right motivations. Because it's really easy to do things, even like loving people, for our own interests. Amen. Okay, we don't need to love with selfish motives or self, you know, with with self-serving motives. <clears throat> we need to love with a sincere heart. And the way that you love with a sincere heart is you begin to open your eyes and look at other people the way that God looks at them. Because when you begin to look at the way, way way God looks at them, and then you begin to see the way God sees them, then you'll begin to love them the way God loves them, which is without hesitation, without reservation. Okay, it is a choice to love. It's not an emotion. And so Paul also says, love one another with brotherly affection. We're to genuinely love, but also with affection. Okay, we can't just say, I love that person. We need to actually do something and show it, right? We need to demonstrate it. We need to exhibit that love. Well, how do we do that? You know, how do we love with brotherly affection? Well, Paul says, outdo one another showing honor. Okay? Honor each other. Be good to each other. Build each other up. Be gracious when you talk to them, even when it's hard. Esteem them higher than yourself. Go out of your way to visibly love them. Because, again, it's that love and that visible affection that the rest of the community and the world will see and know the love of Christ. And Paul goes on, verse 11, he says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Now, let me just tell you. I understand how hard it is to be patient in tribulation, especially when the source of that trouble or tribulation is coming from someone or a group of someone's inside your own community. Okay, Because I have been there, done that, and I bought all the t-shirts. Okay. I mean, I know it's like to be slandered. I know it's like to be gossiped about or picked on and maligned. And, and what I have to keep in mind and what you have to keep in mind is that we as Christ followers should not be living for the now of our emotions and our feelings. We need to live for eternity in the glory of God. And what we need to do when things go sideways and when people, you know, in, in, our, in our social networks put us on blast on Facebook or when people in our own neighborhoods create strife for us, we need to rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because that never goes away. Okay? And then we need to be patient in tribulation because we, we, in what we're going through because we know that God sovereignly is in control of all things. Amen. And then we need to be constant in prayer asking for God to guide us and to strengthen us you know, through difficult times for His Glory, And then in verse 13, Paul says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and, and, and seek to show hospitality, meaning we need to take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then Paul turns a corner and gets very specific and very practical and essentially removes all of our excuses and says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Well, I'm going to tell you right now. I have failed at this 
recently. <laughs> because I'll be honest, it's hard to bless someone who's persecuting. It is hard. I get it. I understand it. Okay, but, but there it is in Paul's words right there. Okay, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And understand, this isn't just a Paul thing. This is not just something Paul said. Okay, Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. As a Christ follower, there's a very real expectation for us to rise above the trouble and the persecution and the garbage that we encounter in our lives, in our community. There's a very real expectation for us to not simply set aside, I mean, for us to simply set aside our rights to avenge ourselves, but rise completely above that. In fact, Paul says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. When? Never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Verse 21, he says, do not be be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So let's be clear about this. There is... If you're a note taker, this is the part you want to write down. Okay. There is an expectation that if you say that Jesus is Lord, you put aside your right to vent and blow up on people in social media. Okay? If you say that you're a Christ follower, you, in a sense, have given up the right to, like, you know, put people on blast publicly on social media. Okay? All right? There's an expectation if you're a Christ follower... To meet the very worst that people have to offer with the very best that God has to offer. I hope you understand that. There's an expectation that if you put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ and you say that you trust in Him alone, that your response to the worst that people have to offer you would be to turn around and give them the best that God has to offer. That's the expectation. That you would submit your body, that you would submit your mind, and you would submit your will to God, and that you would live to honor Him. And in the process of honoring Him, you would begin to value others and love others the way God does. And as a result of that, the worst of humanity coming against you, when that happens, the best of God would rise up inside of you and then pour out of you onto those who persecute you and onto those who malign you and hurt you for everyone in the community to see. Now, you might say, why would I do that? I mean, that's just stupid. Why would I give the best that God has to offer me for those who are offering me the worst? Well, It's because there's a a foundational truth. It's exactly what God did for you. See, He met the worst that you have to offer Him with the best that He can offer you. Okay? Romans 5.8, Paul says, But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in the very act of sinning, while we were in the very act of doing the worst that we could do, offering up to God our vanity and our pride and our lust and our hatred, God demonstrated His love for us by meeting the worst that we have to offer Him with the best that He can offer us. He sent His own Son to die in our place. 
Think about that. He blessed those who cursed him. Jesus prayed for those who persecuted him. I mean, the reason why we are called to love and pray for and do good to those who are not good to us is because that's exactly what God has done for us. That's what the cross means. That's what, that's what we're celebrating next week, that Jesus died for our sins, conquered the grave, proving that, that he has set us free so we don't have to, to behave that way anymore, even though we didn't deserve it. And more than that, when we do that, when we meet the worst in people with the best God has to offer, I'm going to tell you, it changes everything. Because love and grace and mercy become manifested through us in the world around us. And it affects everyone around us. These concentric circles of grace and mercy and love start radiating out into our families and in our small groups and our neighborhood and our community at large. It changes everything. It changes relationship dynamics in families. It changes lives. It changes people's eternity. When and we live beyond the now and love the way God wants us to love. It has the power to change eternity for so many people in our community. Now, with all that, the best way to apply this entire text as it relates to all the various layers in our community, you know, very practically speaking, the best verse in this whole thing is, is verse 18. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Now understand, Paul concedes that it's not always possible to live peaceably with all. Okay. Like it or not, there are just going to be some people who don't like you. Okay. As, as wonderful as you are, as much as I don't understand it, someone's not going to like you. Okay, and for whatever reason, someone's going to have conflict with you, and, 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 and you know, maybe you, know, you have personality clashes, maybe they're just jealous of you. Um, maybe you know, they're just downright rotten, hateful, mean-spirited people. Okay? Paul just concedes that it's not always possible to live at peace with everybody, but he does include an important clause here. He said, so far as it depends on you. Okay? So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, what Paul is essentially saying is, you may have conflict with people, but don't let that conflict be because of what you're doing Amen. and who you are. Do everything in your power you know, and do everything you can and do everything necessary to be a part of the solution and not be part of the problem. Okay? Someone is not going to like you and what you stand for, and that's fine. But don't make it worse. Don't contribute to the situation. Don't pour fuel on the fire. Don't stoop to their level. Don't make the conflict about you. As far as it depends on you and your actions and your words and your attitudes and your prayer life, live peaceably with all. And this word all is inclusive. It means everybody, even those people we really don't like. Now, let me just tell you, this far, as far as it depends on you, is a really, really broad idea. Because, let's face it, how you respond on social media totally depends on you. Okay? How you react when some, with the way somebody treats you depends on you. How you talk about someone who wronged you with other people, that depends on you. How you pray for guidance and strength and wisdom dealing with this other person, that depends on you. You see, in all of your relationships, even the bad ones, there's quite a bit of stuff that depends on you. And so what Paul says 
So long as it depends on you for your part, live peaceably with all. Or in other words, do everything in your power, which includes blessing and praying for and being good to those who are not so good to you. We need to do everything in our power to show the love of God and live at peace with everyone. And I mean everyone around us. So wrapping up this this text and applying it to our lives, just kind of a summary We need to submit our bodies, our minds, and our wills to God. We need to keep in mind the importance and the value of other people because God loves them. Okay? And we need to meet the worst that people have to offer us with the best that God has to offer. And then we need to do everything in our power to live peaceably with everyone around us. Okay? That is how we live for eternity in our community. That is how we let the light of Jesus shine in our community. And I'm telling you, if that's how we live, it changes things. There will be people that will come to know Jesus Christ because of the way you treat them when you live that way. Okay? Now, as we uh, wrap up this series, I want to issue one last homework assignment, you know, or a challenge, so to speak. And what I want to do is I want for us to live for eternity this week by, you know, purposely and consciously by joining uh, me and the rest of this congregation in an effort to share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as possible for Easter. Because next week we are definitely talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we're definitely going to be talking about the hope that we have in Jesus and we're going to clearly lay out the gospel for people to hear. Okay, and so we're, we're praying for people's lives and hearts to be changed. And you can help us... You know, and join us in three specific ways. Number one, you can pray. Okay, pray with us. If you don't mind, please make a point every day between now and Easter. Pray every day that God would bring people to this church that need to hear the gospel. Okay, and that, that, that those people would hear it and that they would be saved. And, and then pray um, for, for, for the service next Sunday and then pray for me. Okay, as I get prepared, that I'm submitted, that my heart is in the right place. And then pray for the worship team as, we, as, as, as they and we, we get you know, ready to help people stand in, in the presence of God and then pray you know, for our community. And then number two, invite people here. Okay, invite your friends, your neighbors, your family, invite your coworkers, even those people you don't like. I mean, if you want their lives to change, then hey, show them what Jesus is about. All right? Just tell them to get here. And, and you can even invite your whole neighborhood. In fact, at the back table, in that box back, there are some yellow packages. And on each one of them, there's a street name, and there's a little map inside, and there's a bunch of invitations. And you can take like 10 minutes and just go down your street. And you don't even have to say, talk to people. Just put them on the door. Just pass, help us pass out those invitations so we can get everybody in Boron and Desert Lake invited. Uh, because we want to really invite everybody that we can here. And let me just tell you, last year we had 115 people here, okay? which is pretty good. But this year, I really like for us to, to get 125 people or more in here. And I really am just hoping that we're going to be able to, to, to offer an, uh, an altar call that people will give their lives to Jesus. And then the third thing that you can do for us this Easter, okay, once Easter is over, I want to ask you then to go to SoundCloud and then, and then share the Easter message with everyone you can so they can hear the gospel too. Because again, we're going to present the gospel very clear and plain. And so my prayer right now is that we would all come together with one accord and with one heart and that we would do all of these things that we can this week, getting ready for Easter so that we could uh, live for eternity and see other people come and put their hope in Jesus as well. Uh, let me pray for you. Father, 
what an incredible time of year this is. That this is, you know, we talk about the resurrection all the time. We talk about the gospel all the time. But this is that time of year it comes full view, full focus, that everybody's thinking about it. Even people who are not Christians are talking about Easter. I mean, they might have their rituals and their holidays, but the reality is, is that there's an openness now to this idea. And I just pray, Lord God, that, man, that we would just come together and this would be our rallying cry and that we would go out in, into our community and we'd just invite everybody we can and we'd fill this place up with hungry hearts, Lord, and that we would share the gospel with them and that their lives would, they, they would give their lives to Jesus and their lives would be changed, that their lives would be changed to be better parents and, and, and family members and community members, Lord, and that, that, Lord, that you'd be glorified in that work, Lord, and, and that most importantly, they'd be saved for eternity because that's really what it's all about is living for eternity. And so I pray that all of us have the confidence, the strength, the willingness to get involved, to do our part, to pray, to invite. Lord God, I pray, Father, that uh, you'd give us all the, the, the willingness and the courage to just talk to people, even those, those ones that we struggle to talk with. And I pray, Father, that in that, that we would, we would glorify you in every part of our, our lives. And, and I pray, Father, that uh, we just lift up your name today and we just pray for Sunday morning. Next week, we pray for those lives that we get saved. And I pray, Father, your hand upon this entire congregation that you'd meet everybody's needs and those that are not here as well. And I pray most importantly that you're glorified in what we say and do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all said, Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.